This is episode number 39 with Sandra Venus, CEO of Sweet Gum Home. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back. Today on the show, I'm interviewing a female CEO of a company. And unlike a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've interviewed so far who had a vision of something specific they wanted to create and put out in the world, what I loved about Sandra's story was that her vision centered around a lifestyle. It was about wanting to use her creativity each and every day while also being able to be connected to her family in a meaningful way. So you're going to hear Sandra's journey and how she became the founder of a company called Sweet Gum Home, which produces beautiful Swedish dishcloths as well as other kitchen goods. A former architect turned entrepreneur, Sandra's story is inspiring in that she took control of her life in a way that allowed her to connect to her roots of being an artist and making that front and center in her life. And my hope is that by hearing Sandra's story, if you are trying to create a business around a lifestyle, that you get some useful tips to implement in your own life. Now, before I introduce you to Sandra, I want to mention that something new that I'm doing is that I've asked my guest to give a fun fact or share something about themselves so that I can post it in the stories on Instagram. So if we're not connected yet on Instagram, you can find me at Michelle with one L underscore Lamoro. And I'll have that linked up in the show notes so that you can find me and you'll be able to see an example of Sandra's beautifully designed Swedish dishcloths, which are one of her best sellers in her kitchen goods that she offers. So on that note, let me introduce you to today's guest. Let's get into the show. Hi, Sandra. Welcome to the show. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much. So I am curious, can you, I'd like to really just start today with learning more about your story, because I understand that you are an architect and you decided to become a textile designer and produce products that are eco-friendly. And I'm always wondering in my mind, like, how does somebody make that transition and what prompted them to do that? So could you take us into your backstory and bring us to where you are in present day? Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, I, I um, worked as an architect for nearly 20 years. And that was a career that I took on as a after I went to grad school for architecture. But my undergrad was in fine arts and actually landscape architecture. Mm. And I mentioned that because in a way, going to textile design was going back to what my um, original focus was. And, you know, when I first went to college, I wanted to be a painter. Mm. And um, so I, I 
was really interested in graphics and the creative process of um, uh, creating images as a way to communicate. And, uh, you know, I, my uh, my family background is that my, my dad is a contractor. So I spent summers working in the construction industry ever since mm. I was in middle school. Um, and it seemed like a natural thing to go into architecture. But after working, uh, like I said, for nearly 20 years, I, I started to think about fine arts again hmm. and um, and decided that it was time for me to explore another path. So I'm curious. I know you have two kids. Take us into when you know, the transition happened because sometimes life situations is, you know, prompts us to make a change. You know, was it because you were home with the kids or did you never stop working? I'm just curious what the path looked like for you. Right. Yeah. As a mom. Yeah. It's interesting how our careers are often influenced by being a mom and, and which, um, which jobs might be a better fit. And that was certainly part of it. Um, after my first son was born, I did go back to work part-time. I have two boys. Mm-hmm. And and then after my second son was born, I went back again part-time, but then found it to be a little challenging because mainly because of the commute where we live, which is about an hour commute outside of Boston. Mm. It was just hard as a mom, and it was hard to find jobs that uh, were in the neck of the woods where we live, out in the suburbs. There don't tend to be a lot of jobs in architecture. Uh, But eventually, I I did go back to work full-time after my younger one was, I want to say, in third grade. So, you know, past the time where they need a lot of extra attention. And also, part of the equation is the cost of of daycare. So. Um, once they got, they were both in, in elementary school, it was just more manageable. So when did you launch your company then sweet gum? How many years ago? I launched sweet gum in 2016. That was a, a part-time thing. I was still working as an architect Mm. and I was working on building my own business in the evenings and on the weekends then in the beginning of 2017, I left my architecture job and started working on Sweetgum full-time. Okay, um, so can you explain, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but can you explain what Sweetgum is and where the name originated from? T- tell us more about your actual products. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, Sweetgum is a tree that a lot of people think of it as more of a southern tree. Uh, but here in Massachusetts, the trees do grow in the coastal area, which is where we live. And it's a, it's a tree that I just happen to really love because it has these peculiar fruits that are all spiky. And from the perspective of a designer and an architect, we love to look at things that are expressive of the function of an item. And, and this sweet gum fruit is designed in a way to protect the fruit, right? From squirrels or something that might eat it because it's all spiky, but it's, I love it because it's a great illustration of how design Mm. is expressive of the function. And it's just a lovely tree. Also in, in the fall, the, the leaves are so beautiful and it, um, 
it's in a place where we often go hiking as a family. Mm. Um, so for all those different reasons, I just thought, yeah, I, I think I'll just name the company after this tree that I find so beautiful. Um, and as a little side note, I didn't want to name it after myself. So I yeah. was looking for something that I thought was a, um, a beautiful part of nature. Sweet gum is a beautiful name. So tell us about what it is that you actually produce. At this point in time, I am doing mainly kitchen goods. So what that means is an assortment of different linens and dishcloths. And I also have um, art prints that are art prints for the kitchen. So um, I love to cook. I'm not a chef, but I consider myself a, a, an enthusiastic cook. And I just love being in the kitchen. And I often find that when I'm thinking of uh, designs to is when I'm when I'm looking for inspiration, I often think about foods. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think it's because I do love to cook so much. Um, so I focused my product line on kitchen goods. When I first started Sweetgum, I was transitioning from architecture and wanted to do something with drawing because I love to draw and product design. And, and it seemed at the time that a logical product would be to design fabrics and textiles for interior design. Mm. And I did that for about a year and then dropped the interior fabric line to focus on finished goods. And so that's where I am now. Um, I'm focused on finished goods because I, I, I also enjoy managing a shop. I have an online shop and I enjoy curating the products on a shop. So it's a very different approach to having um, a design assortment than if I had stuck with textiles for interior design, which would be more of a B2B type business, right? Because right. then I'd be dealing more with interior designers. But now I'm, I'm focused more on and users, um, you know, customers, sure. retail customers. Business to yeah. consumer. Well, you know what? Take us deeper into your story because there are going to be women listening who've had a product idea for a long time, you know, or maybe they're wanting to start a service-based business. But since you specifically created a product, let's start there. It's one thing, I think, to have an idea, right? Mm -hmm. You know, to be excited and say, oh my God, wouldn't it be great if I, in, in your case, you're creating sustainable products that can, you know, that are good for the environment and you put a lot of care and I want to get into, you know, that piece of it. But, you know, at some point you had this idea of ruminating. So how long was it ruminating? And then, you know, take us into those first steps, because I think that's really the magic. You know, what were the first things that you did to to make it a reality? Sure. Yeah. You know, I should probably start um, my response to that question with just pointing out this is my fifth business. Oh, good. And yeah, so it's, it takes, um, I, I, in my experience, it takes a lot of exploring different options and different ideas. And I feel like having landed on kitchen goods is a result of having tried those previous four businesses. Mm. And the first business that I started was when I was still uh, an undergrad actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So way back in the late eighties, right? So this is decades ago. And then, um, and that was also in textile design. And 
over the years, I, you know, would constantly be looking for a way to be in charge of my own day, you know? Um, so it wasn't so much of having thought of a specific product as looking for a path that would enable me to have the creative lifestyle uh, that I'm looking for. Mm. And if there's a, if there's a different product that comes up that enables me to continue to do creative work and have time to spend with my family, then I'll, then I'll explore that. I'm not set on kitchen goods. And I think sometimes people uh, we'll start with a specific product mm. and then build the business around that. That hasn't been my approach so much. My approach has been to, uh, to find a path, like I was saying before, um, that will allow me to do the creative work that I enjoy doing. And sometimes that creative work is working on product development, specifically designing dishcloths or designing tea towels or art prints, which is where I happen to be spending more of my time these days. Um, and other times the creative energy is put into marketing and I'm really enjoying doing all of the creative work that comes with, you know, brand outreach these days. I'm, I'm spending more time on, doing videos with my kids actually mm. <laughs> and doing um, creative content that probably will never find its way into a product that is sold, but it's a way for me to kind of um, weave together all different, all different, um, all different things that I like to pursue. So uh, for example, uh, I have these recipes on my website that are free downloads because I'm, you know, I'm using that as a marketing tool. Mm. Um, but it's it's a creative endeavor at the same time. So uh, what I've learned over the past year is that uh, in order for the business, in order for a creative business to grow, you need to embrace the marketing as part of the overall creative process. And, and not think of marketing as something separate. So um, it's actually, it's, it's almost like a product, right? Um, I don't know if all that makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. And what I'm hearing is that creativity is really important to you, that you're, I know that you hand draw the designs that are on the dish towels and they're beautiful. I follow your Instagram. I think everything thank is you. absolutely gorgeous. So there's an uh, artist you. in you. And there's also um, somebody who wanted the, who wanted to design her life in a way that suited where, you know, allowed for creative expression and independence and not being confined to something more traditional, which is really who the audience is. These are women who are, you know, either creative entrepreneurs, their moms, or they want, they kind of want it all. They want to craft the life that that resonates with them. But let's get into the business side of things a bit because there are going to be women listening thinking, well, you know, how do you know when to pivot? So you said you you started five. So tell us about the process in terms of, you know, because you must have a bigger picture vision, but is your vision aligned with the independence and the creativity as the anchor versus profitability? Just take us into your mindset around how you're working on your 
business and success as it as you define it? Yeah. So, so in terms of how how do I know when to pivot? Kind of how do I, the pivot from the textiles for interior design into what I'm doing now was a result of uh, partially financial financial decision knowing that there's a long lead time in order for the um, in order for the income to start flowing in order for cash flow to happen mm. there's a there's a long lead time with doing that type of b2b work um, and so part of it was thinking okay well you know what I need to I need to have a product line that has uh, a, a greater chance of uh, higher cash flow mm. so that was definitely part of it but at the same time that you know I'm not going to focus on products that are all that are essentially a commodity and that um, I'm just looking to sell, you know, vast quantity. I, I'm very focused on developing a premium brand that is uh, highlighting the artwork. And I want to be known as uh, a designer first and foremost. And so, so, that means that when I um, think about whether or not I'm going to go down a different path in terms of the product line or in terms of, um, you know, the sales platforms, uh, I need to keep th- going back to asking myself, okay, is, is this move going to reinforce my larger goal, which is to uh, have, you know, a focus on, high quality made products that are eco-friendly. Um, you know, I'm very much concerned about the materials that are used in the products and the labor that is used in order to manufacture the goods. So all of those things need to be taken into consideration before I take on a new product. Um, and I'm also at the same time thinking about which, you know, which products will continue to allow me to have more time with my family. Um, because I have in the past done some products that uh, have require more hands-on from me in terms of overseeing the production, um, the manufacturing. Uh, about a year or two ago, I was working on doing textiles that were all made in New England. Mm. And what that meant was that there was a lot of time that I had to spend actually driving to and from different cut and sew workrooms. These are the folks that would, you know, sew napkins, for example, I have um, cloth napkins. And I also was uh, having all of the fabric hand screen printed at a, um, a regional printing studio. And these are all fabulous companies that I was working with and I loved it. In one respect, I loved supporting New England manufacturers, but I realized that it took a lot of my time to actually be overseeing all of the different steps in that manufacturing process. Um, And it was similar in a way to being an architect where, you know, as an architect, I worked on managing, managing jobs where I'd have to oversee the, um, the consultants, the engineers, and, you know, meet with 
the owners. And, and there was a lot of, you know, um, juggling all different team members that were in-house. And, and it just, it was, it was a lot more of that, you know, type of managing when I was working with manufacturing things here in New England. So I don't do that anymore. I still have some of those products, some of that inventory. But now when I'm taking on new products, I'm always asking myself, Will this new product satisfy my desire to have an eco-friendly product that, you know, is sustainably made and ethically made and I, and I can put my design input into it and at the same time, will it free up some time for me hmm. or is it going to be a time sink, right? So, um, so that is part of the equation when I'm, when I'm thinking, okay, which new products do I add? Um, and that's a large part of how I landed at what I'm doing now with the Swedish, well, they're called Swedish dishcloths. Mine are made in Finland, but with my dishcloths are the, um, kind of the bread and butter of the business. And I have this great relationship with the manufacturer in Finland who, um, the owner of that company also happens to be a designer. So she and I really connect great on what our, um, goals are for each of our brands. We're both very interested in design and we're much um, more focused on building our brands as premium designs rather than just, you know, selling vast quantity. Um, yeah, you're focused on the high end, putting out a great high quality product. That's important to you. That's also beautiful. The design piece is obviously very important, quality and aesthetics. So you're aligned with what you're trying to create, but there's going to be someone listening going, yeah, but how did she start? How did she find a manufacturer in Finland? I want to create something. I don't even know who to call. What advice would you give to somebody who's just wants to produce a product, whether it's a high end, high quality, or maybe they just want to make mugs or something that have a good message? You know, there's so many different products that somebody could create, but the hardest part I think is knowing where to start. So what advice could you give? Oh yeah. Well, you know, these days it, it is a lot easier than it was certainly when I started my first businesses back in, in the eighties. And there was, <laughs> if there was an internet, it wasn't being used widely by <laughs> the general public, right? It was still in universities. Um, so there are so many things that people can do now with searching out manufacturers on their own or through uh, different online resources. There's um, at one point I was using um, an online resource that helped you to um, locate manufacturers. And that was when I was doing the manufacturing as well. So, but if someone is looking to do what, what I'd call surface pattern design, uh, which is when you do a drawing or a painting and then you can have that by digital means applied to any number of products, mugs, t-shirt, yeah. t-shirts, anything. Yeah. So there are, there are these companies called print on demand companies and there are a slew of them and people can um, pretty easily set up a, a an e-commerce website. Uh, my website is on the platform called Shopify. And uh, I used to be on Squarespace, but I switched to Shopify because of the, um, the needs that I had for, uh, for connecting to um, other companies through the website. Um, so 
if someone is just getting started as an artist, they want to do service pattern design, they want to sell something on, let's say, a T-shirt, uh, they can set up a, 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 um, a website and then connect through that website to these print-on-demand companies. And like I said, there are so many to choose from that it's just a matter of figuring out which, which one of these print-on-demand companies uh, is offering the products that you want to print your stuff on. I mean, some people are much more interested in apparel, so you can have your designs printed onto scarves and dresses, or you can do things like textiles for their home, like bedding and pillows and all kinds of things. Um, so, so I think that this day and age, it's, it's a great time for artists to just try it, you know, just get out there and start making things. And I, my other advice would be just to, and this is to specifically to visual artists, to just draw every day. And what I try and do is each, each morning that I wake up, I draw before I start doing any of the business part of sweet gum. And what I found was if I don't draw in the morning, then sometimes it doesn't happen because there's always so many tasks mm. that need to get done with running a business An e-commerce business is just, there's, you know, there's responding to customers, but more than that, there's just so much in terms of keeping track of inventory and, uh, and I, I also do a fair amount of wholesale with brick and mortar shops. So I would say in order to kind of keep your vision clear, wake up in the morning and do the creative work or, you know, maybe for some people, the evenings is better. But for me, I found that I need to start my day by being creative, by doing the very thing that I set out to do by starting my own business, mm. which is to draw. Yeah, I love that. I'm glad you mentioned that because you need to stay true to what actually infuses you with the energy and the passion to keep creating and, and doing. Uh, let's go back, though, because I just want to help people understand. So is Shopify then um, the website that allows you to sell your goods? It's not, I'm pretty certain, right? It's not a print-on-demand. Print-on-demand would be what, like a Zazzle? Can you give us some examples and also just explain a little bit more what is Shopify the marketplace? Shopify is a platform where you can uh, have your e-commerce site. So basically, it's it's just a, a place where you can build your shop. And then they, in turn, have um, apps that you can add to the Shopify website. And what you would then do is choose from any number of print-on-demand companies. So one of them is Printful. There's another one. What's it called, Sandra? I didn't hear that. I'm there's sorry. There's Printful. I can... Um, yeah, I'll link on the show I'll notes. Just, but yeah, Printful is one. I use Printful. P-R-I-N-T-F-U-L. But um, there are so many different ones to choose from. And what does and Printful do? What does it do, Sandra? With Printful, what you do is you upload your digital artwork. And they then allow you to have that available. Your artwork can be available on any different number of things on a t-shirt mug on, um, art prints. And then you can create a product listing on your website so that people come to your website. And if they're purchasing one of your designs, let's say on a mug, then, um, 
when the order comes through, Printful then prints, they make that mug and ship it to the customer. So are they the print-on-demand part of it then? Are they... Yes, they okay. are the print-on-demand part of it. Yep. Okay. And do they take a big cut? Because I think, you know, part of it is, you know, let's say you go on a Zazzle. I've looked at that. They take such a huge portion of the sales that it almost doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, I think the volume would have to be so high. So can you speak to that? They do take a big cut. Yeah, absolutely. But the other way to look at it is that you're not buying inventory that's sitting in your storeroom. Mm. Yeah, it's like I self-published my book. So they take a a big cut on that too, but they're shipping it out. And like you said, I don't have a warehouse full of my books sitting in the garage. So it's kind of like that. Okay, yeah, I get it. Right, yeah, yeah. In comparison to that, when I was manufacturing made in New England textiles, I had to make an estimate of how much inventory I should make and then get to work marketing that so I could sell it. So the um, the cut that they take is, it, that doesn't bother me because I'm not investing anything ahead of time in terms of money in, in manufacturing and of the raw goods and so much that goes into creating your own product that, um, you know, if you're doing it the traditional method, which is to make the product and then sell it, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a big risk. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you touched upon, I think that you touched upon this a little bit, but you know, you're obviously a creative, if creatives are listening, you you said you were enjoying the marketing piece. I think the marketing side of it is very creative, but the business development side is less. So how did you figure out and navigate the different aspects of being a business owner when you're selling a product as a creative? Right. Well, I think that's where my architecture background is helpful. Um, because I managed project products as an architect. So managing um, a, what that as an architect, when you're managing a, a project, what that means is overseeing the budget, managing a timeline. Uh, you know, you're you're taking a, a project from the initial co- initial concept development phase. Let's say you're just meeting with the client to begin with, and then you have to come up with the design and then create all of the construction documents to finalize the design, put it out to bid. I mean, there's so much of, of the business of architecture that has helped me in running my own business. So understanding that you need to have a, a, um, a schedule to follow through with production and you need to understand how all of the different uh, all the different contractors that I'm working with are all going to have to be organized, both in terms of the budget, have, how it affects the product pricing, and in terms of the time frame. Let's say I want some products that are going to be available for Q4. Well, you have to start working on that in the spring. You know, so that's a large part of how I was able to hit the ground running with starting my own business by bringing some of that experience that I had in architecture and transferring it to running a small business. You mentioned that obviously the landscape has changed since the 80s for selling products and the way that you would go about it. Everything is so online. Where are you finding the best return on investment? Is it through Facebook? Specifically, you know, which social 
avenues? You know, where are you getting the people on your list and buying your products? Where are you seeing the most return on your investment or time? Part of the marketing that I do is to do um, small markets around here in the Boston area. I'll do farmers markets on the weekends. Mm. So having that um, direct face-to-face interaction with customers, I would say is the highest return on investment Mm. because people love to meet the designer, the maker. And when I'm in that kind of, you know, show setting, whether it's a, a show at a farmer's market or I do a lot of seasonal shows around Q4, around Christmas time, those customers that I, that I meet and make a connection with are the ones that become my super fans. Mm. And that's by far the greatest return on investment. Although it's, yeah, although it's exhausting to do those shows, um, those are the shows that matter the most. Mm. And, and, and they second, get to touch the product, right? Do you think yes. that impacts that? Just when you touch a product, I feel like you you get connected to it. You feel like you want it <laughs> when you have an experience with it. Do you agree? Yeah. And more than, uh, well, not necessarily more than touching it, but in addition to touching it is that it becomes something of a memento from having visited the farmer's market uh. in Boston and you look at it. And I've had people come back to me a year later and I've been doing the same farmer's market for this is my third season and i'll have people come back to me and say oh my gosh i still have that dishcloth and it's just sitting on the counter or it's sitting on the window ledge above the sink and i haven't used it yet because i like to think about the farmer's market ah that's so nice you're (laughs) like use it and buy more no i'm kidding (laughs) Um. i do say that (laughs) it's meant to be used which is why i love that product that it is it's useful art it's meant to be it's used. It's useful art. That's really beautiful. Uh-huh. So sorry, you were going to say a second thing. So the first was the farmer's market. And what's the second for marketing? For marketing? Yeah. So the, the second for marketing is sadly paid ads. Mm. Yes, I do Instagram and I do Facebook for social media. Um, but, you know, the algorithm is such that it is difficult to reach people unless mm. you're unless you're paying, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different strategies out there to meet people without paying. But what I found is when I do paid advertising and if I have, well, you know, it, it all depends on the creative content. So when I have a video that is got a higher production value and it's something that is visually interesting to people, then I have a decent return on the ad spend. Hmm. I also pay for ads on Google, which are a little bit more expensive than Facebook. Um, But I still do them because it's part of uh, ensuring that, you know, I can continue to do brand outreach and, and get people to recognize the brand sweep them. Yeah, no, I think that's an important distinction too. There's always the brand strategy, just getting the name out there and being recognizable. People go, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of it. That's your brand strategy. And then the marketing is like you said, with, you know, with the ads, that's also brand strategy, but it's also hopefully, you know, directing people to, to the website and getting them to, to, to take that next step. Um, Yeah. And and I use Facebook 
paid advertising in order to get people to sign on to my newsletter. Mm. Uh, for the newsletter, I'm using Klaviyo. And with Klaviyo, they have all kinds of strategies for uh, remarketing and also onboarding flows for when someone signs on to your newsletter, then you can send them a series of welcoming emails. So the email newsletter is a big part of, of my um, long-term growth strategy. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So let's just get into a couple other business-related questions. What do you believe is the mindset a woman would need to be embodying and embracing to be successful? I, I think if you adopt the attitude that there's always room for your idea, mm-hmm. that there's been a lot of talk lately, Brene Brown talks about this, Seth Godin talks about this, that this concept of scarcity is mm-hmm. what keeps people down. Mm-hmm. And, and I do truly believe that if you allow yourself to just go with your gut feeling and pursue the creative work that you want to do and don't talk yourself out of it by mm-hmm. saying something like, Oh, well it's already been done or someone else has done this and there's only so much room. I think that's the thing that holds a lot of people back is that concept of scarcity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's so true. Sandra, how do you define success? What does it mean to you? To me, success is being able to have control over my time. That, along with being able to pursue creative, visually creative design work on a daily basis, is the reason why I decided to start my own business. I want to be able to continue to create design products forever. And, you know, I I enjoy this lifestyle. I enjoy being able to work with my family. My older son works with me now. He's, yeah, he's 17 and he actually does a lot of the marketing work with me. He, wow. he edits videos and he helps to manage the Facebook ads. Wow. So yeah. So having a family business is, is a dream come true. I, I love it. And so for me, the success of this business is largely due to the fact that I can work with my family and spend time, more time with them and do And, and while I'm, while I'm doing design uh, products that are, done with my drawings. And yeah, so success is really everything about the time, having time for family, having time to do creative work. And what's the future for Sweet Gum? Where's, where are you envisioning it to be in five years? I'm envisioning that Sweet Gum will continue to focus on kitchen goods. And I would love to expand the blog that I have on my website, which is Sandra's Kitchen. And what I'm starting to do more of are videos of cooking with my kids because what I'd like to do is encourage other parents to spend more time connecting with their kids in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So I would love to expand to creating a community of, uh, of parents and teenagers and and I'm, I'm so interested in how the kitchen and making meals together can, has a, a, the potential that making meals together has in helping people to connect with one another. Mm. Because we, we all, myself included, 
spend so much time on devices. Mm. And sometimes those devices end up coming to the table Mm. during meals. I know they do in our house. And so what I'm looking to do is to, you know, just have, have a platform, have a website where I can inspire people to just, you know, actually get off the website. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Inspire people to spend more time cooking. I think creating meals with someone is just so much fun. Mm. And, and it, and at the same time you're creating memories and, um, it's something that I'm, I'm focused on doing and I hope that Sweetgum does continue to, to be a, a resource and grow, to be a, a, a bigger resource for people for um, inspiration for how they can connect in the kitchen with their friends and family. I love that. That's a beautiful vision for it. And I wish you success on that. I, I see that it will come to be. So I think that's great. Um, well, thank you. Um, Sandra, can you leave the women listening with your three best tips to living a good life? Absolutely. My number one tip would be to start your day doing something that you enjoy. And whether or not that's going for a walk or having a cup of tea in a quiet house before anyone else wakes up, starting the day off with a little bit of time for reflection is really key for me. And that's why I start with drawing. Uh, My second tip is just to continue to allow yourself to go after what your dreams are and don't hold yourself back by thinking that someone else has done it before. Mm -hmm. Don't hold yourself back by thinking that there's a scarcity. There isn't, there's enough room for your vision. There's enough room for all of the artists out there to do what they really want to do. And let's see the third one. I would say just to enjoy your kids while they're still around. I have a, a senior in high school and in less than a year, he's going to leave for college. So I'm reminded on a daily basis to just take a little bit of extra time to connect with, with my kids. And, and I, I think that that is key for everyone to connect with people, connect with your friends, connect with your family. And that's definitely part of success for me. It's beautiful. Where can I direct people to learn more about you and your beautiful product? They can visit my website, which is sweetgumhome.com. And I have a little discount for your listeners. It is Good Life 25 for 25% off their order. So I would love it if someone comes by and checks out the recipes and Sandra's Kitchen. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure and it was so wonderful to hear your journey and what your vision is for the company. And I wish you the best success in your journey. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I would love to know what resonated with you from today's interview and every interview. All you have to do is head on over to thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 039, where you can leave a comment and you can access all of the show notes from today. You'll see Sandra's discount code under the resource section of the show notes page. Now, if you're enjoying the show and you've been tuning in every week, then I'd love to invite you to be a part of the community. And all that means is joining the weekly email list where I send every Wednesday an email out to the community with some inspiration and ideas to elevate your life in some way as well as my key takeaway from the week's podcast 
And when you do that, you'll get for free in your inbox right away, a list of 52 self-care tips for the busy woman out there who doesn't have time to make herself the priority that she needs to be. So that's why I created it. It's a cheat sheet. It makes it super easy to get 52 ideas, one for every week of the year. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And I look forward to reconnecting next Wednesday. Bye for now.